Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today we have Janelle Wong, American history professor for the University of Maryland and author of her recent book, Immigrants, Evangelicals, and Politics in the Era of Demographic Change. Janelle walks through the Asian American immigration journey and explains how U.S. immigration policy in particular played a large role in selecting the most educated from their nations. Additionally, we analyze this relatively new immigration influx and determine how it may play a part in shaping the direction of politics in the future. Ami and Gaines, come join us Beyond Borders. Today we have Janelle Wong, who is a University of Maryland professor and teaches Asian American studies and and American studies. And American studies is a pleasure to have you. Great to be here. Great. So we're we're doing a series of learning about each group's immigration story, right? And how does that apply to today's politics and today's culture? So with your background and your research, uh, can you give us just a, a brief understanding of the Asian American immigration experience? And then later, uh, how does that apply to today? Sure. So Asian Americans are often considered new immigrants in the United States, but there's actually a very old history. And Asian Americans started to arrive in the U.S. really as part of um, the early gold rush days and building uh, the transcontinental railroad and also sort of expanding, uh, they were agricultural workers. So they were really farm workers at uh, the turn of the last century. So in the early uh, or mid 1800s, we began to see a flow of immigrants from different parts of Asia who were really recruited to be low-wage workers. The first group of immigrants left because of political instability and news of golden jobs in California. Back in the 1850s, the cities up and down the Pearl River Delta, including Guangzhou, were hubs for international trade. Many people in this area left to pursue better opportunities abroad. At the same time, the Taiping Rebellion and the Opium Wars led others to flee poverty and instability. Meanwhile, gold was discovered in California and extra hands were needed to build the Transcontinental Railroad. And these forces kicked off the first wave of Chinese immigration. But what started out as job opportunities in America took an ugly turn discrimination and violence. White laborers felt like Chinese immigrants were threatening their jobs and took extreme measures to get rid of them. They burnt down Chinatowns, publicly lynched Chinese people, and passed racially targeted laws. And as they came, they were really a despised group because they weren't Christians, they looked different, they spoke a different language. And so as more arrived, they began to be the target of both vigilante violence and also legislation. So early Chinese immigrants, for instance, were subject to like mob lynchings. They were run out of town. And this also happened to Filipinos and other groups that were really considered labor competition, even though there weren't a ton of people here. So what a lot of people don't know is because of the Chinese Exclusion Act, which happened at the in the late 1800s, Chinese were really the first illegal immigrants in the United States. And I think that's important to keep in mind. It reflects how America saw itself at one time and how it continues to see itself. Some of it has to do with the fact that we excluded Chinese for 60 years. 
this history really is the beginning of where we are today. The issues we're asking, who can come and who cannot come? Who can be American? In addition, that legislation was really the last time we saw a group kind of named in and excluded from the U.S. until the contemporary ban on immigrants from Muslim-majority countries. And so there's this kind of connection between the past and the present in terms of the framing of undocumented immigrants. They used to be Asian. Now they're racialized as Latinx, Latino. And that there's this kind of deep history between Chinese exclusion and the current efforts to uh, ban Muslim Americans. And we also, of course, saw that Japanese Americans were racially targeted in the U.S. Um, as well. But in, the, in 1965, everything changed for uh, Asian immigration to the U.S. So there were very few immigrants uh, from Asia coming into the U.S. between 1882 and the 1950s. And that was due to a a racial ban, really, on immigrants from Asia. But all through that time, there were some exceptions. And that, those exceptions had to do with how, with recruiting high skilled workers. Mm. And it really set the stage for the 1965 Immigration and Naturalization Act, which lifted quotas on particular countries and allowed for uh, certain categories of people to be prioritized in U.S. immigration law. Up until 1965, U.S. immigration policy was heavily biased in favor of Europeans, and in particular Northern and Western Europeans. So tens of thousands of immigrant visas were reserved for Northern and Western Europeans, while Southern and Eastern Europeans, and especially Asians and Africans and Middle Easterners, had very little chance to immigrate to the United States. They were discriminated against on the basis of their national And those priorities were high-skilled workers, so that's where you see visas coming into play, Mm. and family-based visas. This legislation wasn't designed to increase the numbers of Asian immigrants in the U.S., but it ended up doing so. A lot of people from China and India in particular received H-1B visas, and then they sponsored their family members who also were highly educated because that was who the original targets of the, who was receiving the worker visas. So what does this do? It changes the entire complexion of Asian immigration from low-wage manual workers who came to work in low-skilled occupations. Fields and farming, what have you, mining. Exactly, to uh, another class of immigrants that were really highly educated, high-skilled, including family members. And so what we see is today, over 50% of Chinese immigrants have a bachelor's degree. But in China, only about 8% of people have a BA or a bachelor's degree. In Indian immigrants, almost 80% have a bachelor's degree. But in India, it's about 12%. So we're really seeing that, you know, a lot of people think, oh, Asians value education, right? Right. But it's actually our immigration laws that value educated people from those countries. It's not Mm -hmm. about their racial background, but it's about hyper-selectivity and U.S. Mm -hmm. immigration law. And there's, there's some interesting contrast. Mexican immigrants 
there are more people in Mexico who have uh, bachelor's degrees than the immigrant population, the the population of Mexican immigrants in the The U.S. US. And yet stereotypes sort of mask the ways in which immigration law has shaped these populations. Yeah, so they stay within their country. Those who have bachelor's and graduate degrees, they stay in the country, whereas Asian cultures, uh, those who are highly educated, I, I guess is there's an emphasis to, to immigrate to America or other sort of countries and that sort of said, Western countries. There's also, yeah, the wealthier move. Um, we yeah. also see that for groups like Vietnamese and Cambodians right. who have not been recruited by the U.S. as high-skilled workers, their educational achievement in the U.S. looks more like other groups that came who don't have as many resources. So, right. you know, a lot of people try to attribute the high levels of education and income in the U.S. that Asian Americans demonstrate to some kind of like innate values. But really, the best of the best. But really, we see that if those groups that don't benefit from those kind of selective immigration policies who came as refugees, for instance, who don't necessarily live, you know, don't have the means to live near really um, high quality public schools, then they actually show very different levels of educational achievement. And so, They're all Asian Americans, but they have very different kinds of educational outcomes. And it's because of our immigration policy. Right, right. You mentioned earlier about the model minority trope. Mm -hmm. With this sort of new generation, second generation Asian Americans, how are they accepting that sort of trope that has always been? So I think... You know, it is, it's a really powerful trope, the model minority stereotype that says that Asian Americans are um, really um, have a kind of innate value for education and that they work hard and study hard. But really, it's about parental education. Which is education. not a bad, it's not it's, the worst it's not, thing And to it's not necessarily bad. It right. actually does benefit <laughs> yeah. them when it comes to like teachers, studies right. of teachers show that, you know, if you look at... Asian and how they treat Asian and white kids versus black and Latino kids, they are more like, even if those kids are all performing at the same level, they're more likely to, for instance, um, invite the Asian kids to the gifted program. Yeah, the accelerated program. So the model minority stereotype Mm. is super powerful. Mm. Where it is a little bit more complicated, I would say, is when it comes to politics. Asian Mm. Americans demonstrate pretty on average high levels of income and education that's usually associated with political participation mm. but they're they're on the lower side of registering and voting yeah it, it says um, in terms of voter turnout it says 47 percent mm-hmm. turnout compared to 64 percent of white Americans and 66 percent of black voters why do you think the community historically has not been, as uh, involved in the political and social landscape. So we're definitely seeing, you know, it has been a long-standing pattern that Asian Americans participate at lower rates than expected based on both uh, education and income. And that is partly, I think, about... So, again, stereotypes come into play. People think, oh, maybe they're, you know, more involved in their country of origins politics, or maybe they uh, are apolitical. They're just thinking about, like, you know putting food on the table. Yeah, taking care of family. But mm-hmm. really, I don't think either of those are good explanations. I really think mm-hmm. it has to do with 
the way the U.S. political system works. If you think about where Asians are concentrated, mm. have been concentrated historically, it's Hawaii and New York and California. Are those competitive election states? No. So really, Asian Americans are like half as likely to live in a swing state mm. as other groups. And what that means is that there are very few resources put in when a political party is thinking, okay, how do we spend these scarce resources? They're they're not thinking about Asians. Asians are hard to mobilize because they speak a bunch of different languages. Mm. They uh, historically have um, low turnout rates, which means mm. that it's like a vicious cycle. Then political parties and candidates don't necessarily want to reach out to them because they're not a sure thing to come out. And they're mainly concentrated in blue states or let's say in a red state or turning purple state, Texas, they tend to be in the bluest areas in mm. those states. And so... I think that's that's the they're not mobilized very well, and it's partly because they're a higher level of foreign-born. So, so um, as we were speaking earlier, as the fastest-growing minority group, I think now this and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think now this generation is finding the importance in uh, representation, mm -hmm. right? Political representation and becoming uh, more involved. And looking towards the future, future politics, as demographics sort of shift and, and change, um, how do you see the future politics playing out? You know, we don't have a crystal ball, of right, course, right. but uh, with the shifting demographics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there, there are some interesting kind of trends to consider. First is Asian Americans are the fastest growing um, racial minority group. They're also the fastest growing immigrant group. So today, most immigrants, actually since around 2008, the largest group of immigrants entering the U.S. has been Asian. People from China or Indian, India, excuse me, um, outnumber those coming from Mexico and Central America. And so we're seeing um, an interesting shift in who knew immigrants consist of, even though policy hasn't caught up. So the policy debate right now is around a wall. Mm. But really, that's not how most new immigrants are coming into the US, right? And Asians are the fastest growing groups of undocumented immigrants also. Mm. So people from Korea and China and India are now the fastest growing groups of undocumented immigrants. And so again, you know, I don't think there's a good public understanding of these groups. In addition, when we think about immigrant voters, now fully a third of immigrant voters are Asian. Mm -hmm. And really, only a third of immigrant voters are Latino, too. So mm -hmm. we're seeing some interesting shifts in, in that way. I do think we will see Asian Americans playing a bigger role in politics. But let's keep in mind, despite these really fast growth rates, Asian Americans are still just a little under 6% of the whole U.S. population, a little, about 4% of the electorate. Right. What is that uh, projected to grow to within the next 10 to 15 years, 20 years? So yeah. we will, st it'll still be, I think by 2025, mm. Asian Americans will be about 5% of the electorate. It'll take until about 2050 for Asian Americans to be over 10% of the U.S. population, and it'll take longer even to be a big part of the electorate. But let's not forget, in about 10 
congressional districts, Asian Americans make up 25%, at least 25% of the population. So we will see a lot more political power for Asian Americans when it comes to local politics. For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at eiglaw.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG underscore law and our Instagram underscore EIG law to join in the conversation. Thanks for listening. See you next time.